Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Well, good morning, City of Refuge. Uh, My name is Brandon Freemian. I am the equipping pastor here at the church. Uh, I'd like to begin with just a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we turn our hearts and minds now to your word. I pray, Father, that you would make our hearts good soil to receive what you would have for us. I pray that as I speak this morning, that it would be in accordance with your will, accordance with your word, and to the praise of your glory. All these things we pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. So today we're continuing our series called Ecclesia, the called out ones, where we're doing a deep dive into Acts 1 and 2. So just a little bit of review. So you remember in Acts 1, it's, it's a chapter of anticipation. Jesus is taken to heaven and he leaves the disciples instructions to remain in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. But throughout the chapter, there's this sense of building towards that moment. The latter half of the chapter, you may remember we talked about how the disciples went about choosing Matthias to replace Judas and the process that they went through, the the discernment process that they went through in order to figure out whether to replace Judas and how to replace Judas. Last week, Pastor Rufus took us on an excursus into Matthew 9, 35 through 38, and he talked about the passage where Jesus tells the disciples to pray that the Lord would send workers into his harvest. This idea that there are many out there that are ready to enter into the kingdom, ready to receive Jesus, but others need to go. Others need to go work the fields. Also last week, something that we didn't talk about was actually Pentecost Sunday. So Pentecost Sunday is the time in the church calendar when we remember the passage we're about to read, where the Holy Spirit is going to come on the church, and it is this momentous moment in the life of the church that together with Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit marks a watershed in the life of the people of God, and a watershed moment in all of history. Everything after what happens in this passage looks markedly different. The disciples look and act different. The church looks and acts different on the other side of what we're about to read. So I'd like to just read the text. It's it's pretty long. We're going to be doing 21 verses today, Acts 1 to 21, But I'm going to read that now. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn there, please. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house while they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all of them were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So much of Acts 2 that we're going to be looking at in future weeks is, is Peter's sermon, where he's going to be explaining what happens here. And so I want to start today, one, talking about the event, but then looking at the very beginning of Peter's sermon, where he quotes Joel and what he's telling us about the significance of Pentecost. Now, what is Pentecost? So, Pentecost comes from the Greek word that means 50th, and it was the name given to one of the annual festivals that Israel was required to keep from the Old Testament. It was called the Feast of Weeks. And in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks was supposed to happen 50 days after you had first started to harvest. And over time, it came to be practiced 50 days after Passover. So you'll remember that a lot of what happened around Jesus, in the end, his last supper was a celebration of Passover. So this is 50 days afterwards, is Pentecost, and it's a Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks was a celebration of first fruits. So it was a, a celebration of basically the beginning of the harvest. And, and there was kind of two aspects of that that were really significant. One, it was a, a celebration of thanksgiving, that the harvest was coming in, a, a thanksgiving of God's provision for his people. But it was also a remembrance. It was a remembrance of the fact that they had been set free from slavery because now they were not working the land of those that enslaved them. Now they were working their own land. They were now the ones that were receiving the benefit of their labor. And this festival was a remembrance of both things. And people would come and gather in Jerusalem and they would offer a portion of their, their initial harvest, their first fruits, 
sort of a sign of their best, the, the first that they gathered, they would offer to God at this. I think it's remarkable that this is the day God chooses to send the Holy Spirit. Right, what does that seem to be saying? You remember last week, Pastor Rufus talked about the harvest is ready. And he asks the disciples to pray that the Lord would send workers out in the harvest. I believe that God chose Pentecost for the day to send the Holy Spirit as a very visible sign. The harvest is here. The first fruits are coming in. And that's exactly what we're going to see here in Acts 2 is the first fruits of people entering the kingdom, entering the early church. And the coming of the Holy Spirit is spectacular. You have this, this audible rushing wind. You have this visible tongues of fire coming and, and resting on each of the disciples, this very visible, evident, the Holy Spirit is here. And, and they, what do you see them do? They immediately go out into the fields. They immediately begin going out and proclaiming the mighty works of God. Now, I have no idea exactly which mighty works they picked. They had a few to choose from, right? Maybe they decided to talk about Jesus' miraculous birth, and they talked about the choir of angels. Maybe they talked about his baptism, and the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Maybe they talked about the miracles, the healing, and the fact that he would go and he would touch lepers, those that had been basically cast out from society. He would go and he would touch them and he would heal them. Maybe they talked about the transfiguration where they, for the first time, really got to see him in his glory. I think for sure, as we're going to see in Peter's sermon, they talked about him going to the cross and the fact that death could not hold him and that three days later he rose again from the grave showing that sin had been conquered and that death would no longer have a hold on us if we would put our faith in him. Those mighty works, I have no doubt, they talked about. But that is the first thing they do after the Holy Spirit comes. And they're there, they're people there from all over the place, right? God didn't just choose Pentecost as the day to send his Holy Spirit for symbolic reasons. He also did it for practical reasons because this was a festival in which people would travel from all over. Jews would come from all overs to celebrate the Feast of Weeks in Jerusalem. And so here in this moment is not just the normal local crowd but instead, as it talks about, there's people from all over. It talks about there being Parthians and Medes, which is modern Afghanistan, Elamites, which comes from modern Iraq, Cappadocia, Phrygia, and Pontus, areas of modern Turkey, Egypt, Libya, and Cyrene, areas of North Africa, Rome, far to the west. I mean, basically, for the Jews, this represents all of the known world are represented here in this moment. And they're astonished because they're hearing the disciples speak in their own languages. And these are men that they say are Galileans, people that they wouldn't necessarily have thought would be 
the most educated bunch. And they hear them speaking in their own languages. And they're amazed, at least some of them. Then there's the group that are like, they've been feasting a little too hard. Maybe they need to dial it back a little bit. But what does this mean? Why why is this important? It's obviously spectacular. Well, Peter is going to try and capture in his sermon, going to try to explain to this group who think that they are just all drunk why this is important and what is actually going on. And so to begin that, I want to focus on three things. And I want to look at this text from the perspective of what is the Holy Spirit doing? And I want to look at three areas. One, you see the Holy Spirit here removing barriers to the gospel. Two, you see the Holy Spirit sealing people for the kingdom. And three, you see the Holy Spirit serving as a sign of both salvation and judgment. So let's talk about removing barriers to the gospel. So the miracle of people hearing in their own languages, while that was miraculous and something that was a demonstration of God's power, it was also, again, addressing a very practical need, which was the ability for them to hear the mighty works of God. It was empowering the disciples in this moment for what they would need in order to be able to do the work of ministry, to be entering into the field in this moment. And I think that this is indicative of what you're going to see of throughout the book of Acts in terms of what the Holy Spirit does is that he removes barriers to the gospel. He removes barriers to the word of God going forward and that those who are seeking to enter into the field to do the work, he helps remove the barriers to make that happen. So you see it in the life of Paul, in in the ways that He is guided in where he goes and in proclamation of the gospel. Sometimes it looks like the ability to perform miracles where then the word is not just coming in the word, but there's also these demonstrations of power with it. Sometimes it looks like just the receptivity of the people to hear. Sometimes it's practical things like where Philip goes and talks to the Ethiopian eunuch and God sort of has this meeting that he arranges out in the middle of the desert and then kind of whisks Philip away afterwards, like all of these things are, these are potential barriers to the gospel moving forward and the Holy Spirit is like, and we'll deal with that, and we'll deal with that. And I think this is huge because this is not just the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts, it is the work of the Holy Spirit now. Pastor Rufus talked last week, hey, we need to pray for the workers to go out in the field. And there was also this call for us to go out in the field to be proclaiming like they did the mighty works of God but we do not go into the field alone. And if we are encountering barriers in our lives to people hearing the gospel, I think we should be starting by praying that the Holy Spirit would begin to remove those barriers. And I think this affects our disposition a little bit well as we go into seeking to proclaim the mighty works of God in the spheres of influence that God has given us. Because I know my inclination, like, so my, my training, Lord help me, was as an engineer. Okay, so I like plans. I like strategy. 
I like to have everything known so that I can just follow the plan and X result will come from that. Some of you in this room can probably relate to that. And honestly, the disciples do a little bit of that in the book of Acts. I think you see it in Acts 1 where they're picking Matthias. They have this process that they go through in terms of discerning who that should be. I love that. Processes are great. But there is a spontaneity to the work of the Holy Spirit that my little engineering self sometimes finds a little bit uncomfortable. They didn't plan this, right? The Holy Spirit comes up and they just kind of flood in the streets. And so I think there is this this call for us, if we are serious about pursuing, of, of stepping into this work of, yes, being careful and strategic in what we do, but also being open to the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit and being responsive to the work he's doing. And even more than that, I think there is a recognition that the Holy Spirit, the work of God through the Holy Spirit is not something that waits on us, right? The Holy Spirit is pace setting for the disciples. He does it here and he pretty much does it throughout the book of Acts. There are so many places where you see the Holy Spirit is doing something and the disciples are kind of trying to catch up with what he's doing. I think one of the great examples of this is when Peter is going to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, and he doesn't want to go, right? The Holy Spirit is getting ready to to initiate this massive breakthrough in which the gospel is going to spread into the Gentiles, and Peter is lagging a little bit behind, and the Holy Spirit kind of has to take him and drag him by the hand into that moment. One of the things that um, I love from, from Blackaby's experience in God curriculum that we've done in this church a couple times is he talks about this reality that God is always at work around us if we are willing to look for it. And I think that is very true of when, if we're seeking to go into the field to be proclaiming the mighty works of God, one of the things we should start with is recognizing that the Holy Spirit's way ahead of us. He's already doing stuff in the places where we have spheres of influence. We just need to be looking for it. And then asking him to be removing the barriers for us joining in that work. So that's the first thing. We see the Holy Spirit here removing barriers to the gospel, a work that he continues throughout Acts. Second, in this passage, you see the Holy Spirit sealing people for the kingdom. Now, what do I mean by that? So there's kind of two senses. One is what is talked about in Ephesians 1.13. So Paul talks about this idea that the Holy Spirit is a sign and a seal for us. And it's this idea that if we have put our faith in Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit, it's almost like that that is a, something inward in us, something that we experience and know that shows that our, our salvation is, is there and that we, we can hold on to that in terms of knowing that we will make it to the end because the Holy Spirit is there. But I think there's another kind of ceiling that we see here, which is the visible signs of inclusion that the Holy Spirit gives. Like when the Holy Spirit comes on a group of people, 
it shows God saying, these are my people. These are in the kingdom. These are the ones that I have empowered to be proclaiming the mighty works of God. And you see that beginning here, where first you kind of have the Holy Spirit coming on the disciples, and you see them going out and kind of have this initial sense of the gospel going to the nations. But it's still just devout Jews. So there's still this sense of of kind of the gospel going to the people that you might expect in this time. But if you go back in Acts 1, you'll remember that one of the things that Jesus said is that the gospel is going to be proclaimed in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that actually serves as a nice outline to the way the book of Acts plays out. Because what you see if you continue through the book of Acts is that at particular moments in time, it's like the gospel breaks through one of those barriers. It moves from Jerusalem into Judea, but still mostly the Jewish community. And then then you see it go into Samaria, which is a little harder because this is a group of people that while they do have some touch points with Judaism, the Jews and the Samaritans do not like each other and have pretty strong religious differences. And you see the, the gospel go across that barrier. And then later on with Peter, you see where the gospel again goes into Gentiles now. Like, okay, didn't see that coming. And, and ultimately, you see at the end of Acts, you have Paul going to Rome. You have the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And at each one of those intervals, in particular, when it crosses into Samaria, when it crosses into Gentile community, the Holy Spirit very visibly comes on that group of people in the presence of the disciples. And it's like God saying, yes, and them too. Yes, and them too. All of these I am now including in my kingdom. And just in case you were inclined to disagree, I'm going to very visibly put my Holy Spirit on them so you'll know that I'm saying they're in. And actually, in, when they go and report, Peter reports back about his trip to Cornelius. He's like, The Holy Spirit came on them. They're not going to argue with that. So you see this work of the Holy Spirit of of sealing, of of bringing in and saying, yes, them too. And it it goes to something that is, I'm not going to go through the whole thing back right now, but going back into the Old Testament where God's heart has always been not just for the Jews. His heart has always been for the nations. His heart has always been to invite the world into his kingdom. And that's why in Revelation you see this beautiful moment where every tribe, tongue, and nation is included worshiping God in heaven. And I think for us, that confronts something because just like the disciples I'm guessing that we have a couple people in our life, maybe a whole group of people in your life, where you're like, I just don't know about them. 
hard for me to imagine that person ever coming to faith in Christ. It's hard to imagine me ever being able to proclaim the mighty works of God to them. And I think that this passage starts what is a pattern in Acts that should tell us that kind of thinking is not Holy Spirit thinking. God desires for all men to be saved. And so we should not restrict our vision to the people that we understand and like when it comes to who we are willing to proclaim the mighty works of God to and who the Holy Spirit is capable of working in or through. So that's the second thing, sealing people for the kingdom. Third, the Holy Spirit serves as a sign of salvation and judgment. So at the beginning of Peter's sermon, uh, he lets them know that, no, actually, we're not drunk. It's too early in the day. And then he goes on to say, no, what's actually going on here is what was talked about in the prophet Joel. And I want to read this again. Joel says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here I believe Peter is saying what is happening on Pentecost is a direct fulfillment of what was prophesied in Joel, right? That there is going to be this outpouring of the Holy Spirit to a greater degree than had ever happened before. It talks about it being on all flesh. Now, I understand all flesh there, meaning not that every single person on the world is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but instead that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on a very wide and diverse group of people, right? It's not just going to be Jewish men. It is going to be people from all tribes, tongue, and nation. It's going to be men. It's going to be women. And all of them are going to be seeing signs of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives in terms of prophecies and visions and dreams and, and, all, and prophecy and speaking, proclaiming the truths of God. All of this is going to be evidence of that this time period has come. And he talks about here the idea of there being signs uh, in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Now, I think there is some of this that you see sort of fulfillment in later in Revelation, but there's actually aspects of this you can look back in the Gospels and see this being fulfilled. If you go and read, for instance, the story of the crucifixion, what you see there is darkness, falls. There's, there's an earthquake. There's, there's these signs taking place of this season coming to fulfillment. Now, what is this season? He talks about this being in the last days. Now, when we hear last days, we probably get a little suspicious, right? Because there are a lot of things out there just about 
you know, when it's all going to end and all that. But what I believe he's talking about here is the last days being the season we know now between when Jesus came once and some future time when it is going to come again. That is the season, I believe, that Joel is prophesying about here, the season that we are in now. And what is characteristic of that, based on here, is one, the presence, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit that we see, but two, verse 21, and this is kind of the first aspect, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that within this season, there's going to be an opportunity for salvation. And that is exactly what we see, right? That now, in this season that Christ has come, that those who call upon the name of the Lord, those who put their faith in Christ and trust in him, will receive salvation. And so there is a sign here that the the Holy Spirit coming is the availability of this salvation now. But I think there's a second aspect of this, which is judgment. Because if you look at the context of Joel and where this prophecy takes place, it is within a context where in the future, after this time, there is going to be a judging of the nations. There's going to be a time where God judges the nations. And, And I think that gets at a little bit of what is the salvation for? We, we tend to talk a lot about salvation, and within kind of modern context, it is, it is more acceptable to sort of talk about salvation in terms of how God is going to restore you, how he is going to sort of fix your life, that kind of a thing. But there's also a reality that what salvation is in part about is the fact that what is being prophesied here that the coming of the Holy Spirit also means that judgment is coming, that there is going to come a day where all men will be judged by God. Now, for us, if we have put our faith in Christ, that is not something that we have to fear, right? That day is not a day that we are to be afraid of if we are in Christ. However, I think it is a reality, a perhaps somewhat uncomfortable reality, that we should take seriously. It should have a weightiness about it. You know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of the wisdom of knowing the season you're in. We we talked about it in terms of, okay, we know we're in this season between when Jesus came once and when he's coming again. We're in this season where we know a part of our role as Christians is to be entering into that field, to be declaring the gospel. But I think a part of that wisdom, a part of knowing the season we're in, is also knowing that there is a day when we will give an account for what we did here on earth. And that, I think, should inform our decisions, right? Kind of to, to use the, the analogy that Chris had in a little bit in the other way where he was talking about, you know, that evaluation, right? The day is gonna come when we're gonna have our evaluation from God about the life we lived here. And I think I recognized in my own life, I did not give that I have not at seasons given that enough weight. 
I have not let that sit and inform the way I live my day-to-day life and my day-to-day relationships. And I've, but I was also thinking about this, that on the one hand, there is a weightiness to it and perhaps a little bit of conviction to it for me of, am I making the best use of the time in my life? Am I doing the things that are truly pleasing to the Father so that when I, I present these things to him, it is something that I do with, with pride and, and where it's very evident of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. There's a weightiness to that and perhaps a conviction, but there's also, I think, a real possibility for joy. This is what I mean by that. I mean, I think there is certainly a joy in this lifetime when we are doing the things that God has called us to do, and we get to experience the fruit of that and see the fruit of that. There's joy in that, but how much more to know that on that day, we will get to very visibly and personally experience that joy again with the Father. Get to see his pleasure in that moment. That, I think, is something to have great joy about with regards to even what judgment could look like is, yes, we have to give some weight to the areas where maybe we are not living the way God wants us to, but also anticipation for the joy of getting to share in those things, to get to see again the places where God has worked and where we have joined with him in what he's doing. So we are going to spend the next couple weeks going deeper into this, into what Pentecost means. But two things from today that I hope you walk away with. One is that you'll give the thought to what is the barriers that you have in terms of proclaiming the gospel in the spheres of influence that God has given you. Recognizing that the Holy Spirit has the power to remove those barriers, and also that he is already at work around you and to be seeking the places where he is at work and is calling you to join him in that. So that's the first thing. What is the barriers to going into the field that the Holy Spirit needs to remove in your life? And second, are we making the best use of the time? Knowing that we're in this season, the season where we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, the season where we know that Jesus has come, has died and resurrected, has been ascended and then sent the Holy Spirit and that someday we'll return and will bring to fulfillment all that he has promised and also the day when all of us will stand before the Lord and give an account, are we making the best use of the time? I would ask you to prayerfully consider those two things as you go into this week. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is is hard for us to raise our hand and to say, yes, I will go into the field to work. I know for many of us, Lord, there's just so much fear and uncertainty there. So I pray, God, first for courage. 
I pray that you will open our eyes to see the work that you are already doing and show us how best to step into that. I pray, God, that you would be going with us and removing barriers to the gospel, God. Lord, help us to live in a way that is pleasing to you. Help us to live with both the the weight and the joy of knowing that someday we will have our evaluation, God. That we will stand before your throne and give an account. Lord, I pray on that day that you would find us faithful. But for the places, Lord, where we know we aren't, we confess those to you. We ask for your forgiveness. And thank you, God, that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can know we are forgiven. All these things we pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.